you pray with me, please? We thank you, Lord, that somehow beautifully, mysteriously, we do stand on holy ground. We thank you for the ways you invite us to be close, to be connected, to be strengthened, to be empowered, that your life and your love might be expressed through us in ways that help change the culture. So we love you, Lord, we honor you, and we acknowledge your holy beauty and your holy love. Would you join me, please, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screens. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. My email address is kevink at trcpella.com. <laughs> that tells you where we're going this morning. How's that? But really, seriously, I'm, I'm inviting you to join with me in, in, in the wonder and the journey of being a holy people. And I, I hope we end up in a beautiful and surprising place together. Um, let me tell you a few things that have been are running through my head and my heart before we actually begin to look at the scriptures. I have three scripture passages, verses that speak to me that we'll look at two of them uh, this morning and add a third and around holiness. So listen to these words on holiness. Our God says, be holy because I am holy. Our God says, be holy in all you do. And then from the book of Hebrews, the passage says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Be holy because God is holy. Be holy in all you do. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I'd like to take you a little journey around holiness, if I may, and I, I, some of you know where I'm going because we touched on this last year, but I'd like to go a bit deeper. So one of the things, well, let me just ask. So I know we're in different rooms. We're in our homes, we're in the auditorium, we're in the chapel, but this, this, in this room, can I ask a couple questions and talk back to me, and then I'll try to repeat it to, to the other places. When I say the word holy, what do you think of? Just throw some things out. Set apart? Set apart? Different? Sanctified? Sanctified. Complete? Complete. Godlike? God Beauty. Beauty? If I use the word holiness, what does the word holiness seem like, sound like? Holiness? Perfection? Perfection? Anyone else? One more. 
Holiness. What do you think when you think holiness? Righteousness. Righteousness. After the last service, someone came up to me and he said, through the whole sermon, I was just stewing. I was just, just, and then he came up to me, and this is an engineer, and, and he said to me, and I thought it was so interesting, he said, so is what you're saying holiness is to mirror Jesus? That's holiness. To mirror Jesus. Now I want to push into holiness a little bit by just asking you to look at a number of questions. So may I have slide number eight, please? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to break, take us to politics for just a minute. But before I do, let me, and not, it's not to take a position, I'm going to share some things. So as you think about choices you make about holiness, here are the three questions I'd like you to think about. So we're going to bring it to politics. Does the choice, is the choice I'm making in terms of what I write post or say about a political situation conform to the image of Jesus. Secondly, so whatever this political conversation is, what I'm posting, what I'm saying, does it reveal the beauty of our salvation? And here's the third question. When Jesus comes back, is what I said or what I posted or what I told someone when Jesus comes back, what will he say about what I said or posted? So holiness gets framed through things like this. Does the choice I'm making conform to the image, does it look like Jesus? Or does it reveal the beauty of our salvation? Or will it stand up to scrutiny? So let me just give you a little political observation. This is not about politics, it's about the, the conversation around politics. So this is research that comes out of the University of Maryland, and I'll tell you what year it was in a few minutes, a couple seconds, two minutes. So they look at tens of thousands of people, looked at voting patterns, political conversations, one-on-one -on -one interviews, and all kinds of stuff. And they found, listen, they use the word partisans, people who are strongly committed to their position, view the other party as extreme, while they saw their own party is not extreme at all. When it comes to partisan politics, we have moved in American politics from opponents to enemies. It is more important to beat the other party up than it is to enact your own legislation. It is to get blood from the other side. It is not to actually legislate. Parties are more motivated to beat the enemy than to work for the common good. So that's the studies that come back all over the place. Now, why? So this is what the scholars tell us. Humans unknowingly engage in what are called hero systems or immortality projects to manage our own sense of meaninglessness, our concerns about insignificance, and our death. If my hero system becomes challenged by a Democrat or Republican or someone else, my self-esteem, my understanding, my worldview is in jeopardy, and then we engage immediately in what's called a worldview defense. Here we double down on our beliefs and we villainize the other. In the worst case scenarios, we don't argue the issues, but instead we, are, we question the moral character of the other person. Our identities in America today are deeply informed and defined by our personal politics. Because our identities are so involved, not to mention self-esteem, worldview, these become incredibly 
personal. In American politics today, there are no prisoners. This was done in 2012. Now, into that conversation, go back to slide eight, please. Is what I write or post or say about my opinions in politics, whatever they are, conform to the image of Jesus? Secondly, does what I write or post or say reflect the beauty of our salvation? Or, when Jesus comes back and he reads what I posted, what will he say? Now, do you see how holiness can impact living? So what, what I observe, what we off, what, I'm, I'm generalizing, but we take holiness and we just say, well, it's about, it's about a few moral things. Don't do this, don't do that. But, but I, what I'm trying to suggest to us is holiness should affect all of life. Listen to the scriptures. I'm going to repeat. Be holy in all you do. So, everything. So, that brings me to the passage. Could you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16? And then I'm going to look at Leviticus chapter 19 because Paul, Peter draws from Leviticus 19. I can just feel how quiet and cold it's getting in this room. We're moving away from politics now. We're all done. We're going to talk about Jesus. I'm joking, but I'm not. Holiness is supposed to be involved in everything. So fundamentally, listen to this now. When it comes to holiness, this is, this is the question I always ask myself. So, so I'm going to show you in a minute. Holiness is connected to love. Four Greek words, New Testament, for love. The word I'm talking about is agapao. And that word means to will the good of another. For God so loved, he willed the good of us that he sent his one and only son. So, watch what he says now about, about this idea of holiness. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, remember I told you last week, the tense goes from indicative to imperative. So this is not like, okay, if you want to, think about, think about God thinks. No, he's saying, okay, you're under persecution. You've been moved to the margins. You're being killed. Now, therefore, now, come on, come on. Fully sober, alert, think. Three times, chapter 1, verse 3, 113, 121. Set your hope, future orientation on what? On the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Get your mind engaged that Christ is returning. And then he says, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you live in ignorance. Now look at verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There are two words for holy, kadosh, and hagios, they mean the same thing. To be consecrated, to be separated, to be focused. 
Okay, now let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. The words will be on the screen. And look at about 10 verses, 12 verses in here. And this is from which Peter draws his, his ideas. So Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Now look at the first verse 2. Moses said to Moses, Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Now I want you to catch that. So any, I need to stay with me. Everybody, stay with me. Look at that phrase, entire assembly. So this is where holiness starts. Understood, it is for all of us. It's not just for the preacher or for a few elders or a few deacons. You say to all the people, the whole thing. So listen to this now. Holiness, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. I'm quoting Hebrews 12, 14. So I get a hypothesis. Could it be that the Christian church has been marginalized in Western culture? Listen now. Could it be because the culture has not seen the Lord? Be holy in all you do. What if the culture has not seen it? And what, follow me, all they have seen is people just saying, no, 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 bad, 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 no, 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 and that's holiness. But what if holiness looks different? What if holiness is not, but what if holiness is actually wind under our wings? What if holiness reflects the character of God? And what if we're supposed to look like God in his character by being holy? So to the whole assembly, he says in verse 2, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now, if you read Leviticus 19, in Hebrew, it is, he, chapter 19 is 16 paragraphs. At the end of every one of the paragraphs is the phrase, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God. So let's break down the words. I am Yahweh, the Lord, owner and master, your God, the creator. Every paragraph, there's going to be something spoken, and then it's, this is God speaking. This isn't just, this is God. I am the Lord, your God. So this is what he says, verse 3. Each of you must respect your mother and father. You must ob observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Don't turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your field, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Next, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander. Ooh, 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 ooh. Do not go about posting slander among your people. 
Do not say anything, do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow, ooh, ooh. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as, as yourself, for you once were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So let me just, we ran through it. Let me just categorize this for you now. This is where holiness, according to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, take it from Leviticus 19. L- listen, listen to the breadth of holiness. Family life, how you practice your faith, care for the poor, workers' rights, society, compassion for the poor, integrity and justice, neighborliness, sexual integrity, racial equality, business ethics. Listen to these next three sentences. At the core of holiness is the relational center of all relationships. So what did Jesus say? A lawyer came to me and said, teacher, tell us, what's the law? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God. You shall keep all the rules. You decide who's in and who's out. What did Jesus say? You love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then what? You love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these two things, hang all the law, that's ten, and the prophets. At, listen now, at the core of holiness is relationships. So how does he talk about this relational love in First Peter? I, we'll get coming to it coming weeks. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, love one another deeply from the heart. 122. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. 4, verse 8. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So what I'm poking at here is holiness is not rules. Holiness is not who's in and who's out. Well, let's keep plowing through this. Let me show you a brief clip, a five-minute clip from the Bible Project about holiness. Would you please watch this? And then we'll review it when it comes up. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. 
So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. Exactly, that intensity of God's holiness is explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the Most Holy Place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how is it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal and then it sears... We have a freeze, eh? Well, while he's trying, while we're trying to get it uh, worked through, he's going to move from Isaiah to Jesus. And the movement from Jesus then is, he is not just ritually uh, impure, he is completely holy. And so when sick, evil, diseased people touch Jesus, Old remember Old Testament? If you touch something impure, you became impure. But what did Jesus do? He touched dead, sick, bleeding, demonized, and they didn't become impure, they became whole and clean. And Jesus says what? Out of those who follow me will come rivers of living water. What is that? That's holiness. 
out of us, those who are in Christ, Christ in you, out of you will come rivers of living water. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy in all you do so that Christ's life rushes out of us to others. And that's the crazy thing. Because of Jesus, we are now ritually, Mike's, Mike's whole point of leading us before we sang the throne room song. Not only do we have access, but now his kingdom is living in us and through us. Why is holiness so important? Because it is in holiness, that is when Christ's life and love is expressed. And the culture is looking for people who are different, who are set apart. Not in some weird, goofy, Luddite kind of a way, but a way that is so filled of the presence and person of Jesus. So let me unpack this for just a little bit for you. So slide number uh, two, please. Here's, here, here's my sentence that I've been trying to organize. Do you have any, anything at all we did? Okay. Well, here was, here was the sentence that I was using in my own head. According to St. Biriar, thank you, beautiful. We have a tech guru back here. Praise God. Leviticus 19 calls people to holiness by sharing in devout worship, honesty, integrity, justice, respect, honor, and love. Holiness includes all of these things. The next slide, please. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. So here's my question. I'd, I'd like you to, to be, in the midst of a, be self-reflective this morning. Have others seen the Lord in you this week? And if not, why not? And if so, why? Without holiness, being like Jesus, no one sees what the kingdom is like. The next one, please. So this is an idea that I think we have to live with. We have to live in the tension of in, but not of. So last week at 11 o'clock service, we had a really diverse group of people. We had someone from Mexico here, we had a family from Guatemala here. We had a family from Honduras here. We had some people from Nigeria over here. And then we had people from different cities around this region. And I said this, I started with Raul. Raul, you're not first a citizen of Mexico. You are first, listen now, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I went through on every single person. So, so, so brothers and sisters, this is how he starts his first Peter. You are chosen exiles. Can I just remind you all, biblically, this is not your home. Our home is eternal with our God. But the circle of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is part of us as soon as we say yes to Christ. We're in this circle of love. And it extends. So what we have to say to each other and ourselves, because remember, holiness is all of us. We want to be in the world, but not of it. So when impurity and all that stuff is all around us, instead of saying, oh, no, look. So this, so this is what the culture hears from many of us. Start, start with me. I'll just use me. Bad, bad, no, no, bad, 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 bad. No, 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 bad, 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 bad. So let me just push this a little bit. So in Jesus' day, how many Kevins were there in Jesus' day? So a Kevin is someone who's been highly educated in the theology, who is, has a degree and designation, 
and was set apart to be a holy person. How many Kevins were there in Israel in Jesus' day? Less than 6,000. How many other people were there? Who knows, millions. Who were the only people Jesus got mad at? The 6,000. What did he say to everybody else? The attitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourned, but be comforted. Jesus was in the world. I I want you to think about this. What was Jesus accused of by the Kevins? He is a wine bibber, and he's a friend of prostitutes. Think that one through. If you're accused of being a wine bibber, where must you be? Where there's lots of alcohol. Jesus was where there was lots of alcohol. And the Kevins go, oh, no. And then he's a friend of prostitutes. He's got a prostitute at his feet putting oil. Doesn't he understand? And then, and then, and what really makes us mad, his disciples, they don't wash their hands before they drink. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not washing your hands before you drink? Oh, do you understand? We have to be in the world but not of the world. We need to be like Jesus. So like Jesus was, hey, you're all good. Let me just play with you a little more. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. What's verse 17? For Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And Jesus says, be holy because I'm holy. Well, let's look at another, another conversation here. How about, how about um, in that light, number slide six. To be a winsome, flourishing, and holy, so flourishing and holy community of exiles, we need to live into a robust doctrine of grace. We talked about that. So if we're going to be holy like Jesus is holy, we are about the things of the kingdom. And let me just tell you what's coming about seven weeks from now. In seven weeks from now, I'm going to have us look through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to make a bold statement here. Kevin K at trcpilot.com. The single best description in the Bible of a follower of Jesus is Matthew 5, 6. And seven. That's our, that's our standard. That's our model. That's our image. If we, if we want to be mirrors of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is our guide. The Holy Spirit takes those words, makes those part of who we are, and we become a people who help change a culture. But we've got to, in that, have a robust doctrine of grace. Let me give you an example. So this week I was getting doing the errand and some stuff. And I got to hide the story because it goes online and all the stuff. So I saw someone who I have a relationship with who used to be publicly a follower of Jesus and has decided at this time not to be connected to Christ at all. Uh, in this past season, um, the person's been very, very involved sexually with many, many, many different partners. 
A uh, person has shared that with me, uh, wanted to see how I'd react, and then I saw this person at a particular place. I saw the person, the person saw me. What do you think the person did? What did I do? I chased this person down. And I said, hey, are you masking or no masking today? He said, no masking. I said, can I give you a hug? He said, you'd give me a hug? I said, yeah. Right here, right in public, right here, right here. I did. Why? Because I believe in a robust doctrine of grace. If we can't, if we can't change, if we can't repent, confess, and become new, renewed, renewed, then we've got to close up shop because this, this is just about a bunch of people keeping rules and deciding who's in and who's out. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We take sin serious. I take sin very seriously. But I believe the words of Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. I believe that. Do you believe that? That everybody, no matter what they've done, I was involved in a tragic situation yesterday, horrible situation. And in the, the horror of it, there were no words because it was so tragic. And the conversation of the person who felt they'd not protected who they needed to protect was very, very hard on self, very hard. And as I'm, I'm standing with, I'm trying to, what's the right posture? There's guilt, there's shame, there's hurt, there's pain, there are tears. Horrific situation. What I thought what the person needed to right now was, you're not a piece of crap because of what you did, did not, what you allowed to happen. The person didn't mean to allow this to happen. It just happened. It's horrible. And a robust doctrine of grace says, no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven. Is that true? Remember back in the day, we moved from the other building to this one. So I need another umbrella of mercy. I've gone to a place where men hang out and have coffee twice. Twice. In 28 years. This was the second and last time. I'm sitting there with these different people, and this was the phrase, and I've never forgotten it. If you want to be part of third deformed church, you can be divorced, a drunk, a drug addict, a sexual pervert. You can steal money. You can go to that church. So a couple of days later, we had a meeting with the elders. And I repeated it. And I said to the elders, so, can divorced people be here? Can people struggle with alcohol, drugs, money, and sex, and can they be here? And our elders said, absolutely. You see, we want to be people who have a robust doctrine. Okay, so why? Now listen, listen carefully, because we're all going to sin. So I know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know how people perceive me. So funny for me, personal sharing. In the church for 26 years when Kirk died. It was so interesting. For many years, I felt like people treated me in our Lynn Lane like not real people. We were the preacher and his wife. But when our son died, we became real people. And someone said to Lane at the grocery store, I'll never forget that, she said, she said to Lane, at the grocery store, 
Something around this time, I'm gonna be careful. You know, your family's had a golden spoon in its mouth for all those years. Now you've had a tragedy. Now you know how the rest of us feel. That was a pretty big shot. And I tried to think it through. And what struck me was the, gro gro the ground at the cross has to be level. So if I'm put on a pedestal for a preacher, watch this movement. If you put me on a pedestal, and I hope you don't, I hope you've been listening for 28 years seeing me doing this. Because when I fall, and I have fallen, and when I fall again, I don't want to fall very far. Yes? Is that true for all of us? When we sin, when we make bad choices, do we believe we can be restored? That new beginnings can happen? That the past can be the past? That forgiveness and grace and healing and healing prayer, and all, we, we can become a new creations? If we can't, we need to close up shop right now. If we can't, this is what happens. So, true story, college, 1973. I was intrigued living in Pella, Iowa, coming from Los Angeles. And I was intrigued because uptown, there was a place called The Grill. And I was always intrigued that there would be this line of cars in the alley behind The Grill. I couldn't figure it out. I'm from Los Angeles. So I asked one of my Pella friends, oh, it's easy. Those are the people who want to consume alcohol and don't want anybody to know. See, hypocrites have to play the game. Behind the Dutch fronts, we can do whatever we want. But a holy people say, this is me. I was blind, but now I see. I was broken, but I've been healed. I have made horrible mistakes. I have sinned incredible ways. But Jesus' love and grace covers a multitude of sins. We need a robust doctrine of grace. Don't hear what I'm not saying. If people are going to be idiots with the Lord, we need to have conversations in love. Absolutely. But one of the reasons I believe we've been put to the margins in Western culture is we don't have a robust doctrine of grace. Are you hearing me this morning? Auditorium, do you hear me? At home, do you hear me? Well, let me go. Couple, quick, quick question. Can I um, have number eight, please? And then I'd like, would you, be, would you be willing, if you're comfortable, could you just take a moment, could you think of one place where you've had to make a decision or a choice this past week? And, and whatever decision you made or whatever choice you made, could you share, if you're comfortable with the other person, any one of those questions? Did the choice you make conform to the image of Jesus. And if you're willing, if it didn't, just say it didn't. Or, did the choice you make reveal the beauty of our salvation? The beauty of our salvation. Or, whatever choice or decision you made, when Jesus comes back and you stand before him, what will he say about the decision, or about that choice? So let's take uh, two minutes, and if you're comfortable at home, in the auditorium, in the chapel, and here, if you're comfortable, if not, pretend, or pretend you're praying or just pray. 
on your marks, get set. Please talk. Go. some conversation. We're going to continue to explore this in the coming weeks, but I just, Eric gave me permission, and, and so we just asked, and Eric just said, I've not been making choices that honor the Lord. And my response is, but there's a robust doctrine of grace here. Next week is going to be better. He said, yes it is. Isn't that the gospel? We are becoming, we are becoming more like Jesus. Jesus says to us, be holy in all you do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed holy and that somehow you are so incredibly gracious in love. And we pray that we would mirror you, be like you, reflect you, um, bring your goodness and your values into every situation. That somehow your kingdom comes and your will is done in your people, through your people. We acknowledge you as the Holy One, the Loving One, the Eternal One. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.